Welcome to season three, episode two of CMAA's Construction Leader Podcast. Unfortunately, Carly couldn't be here with us today, but I did bring a special guest host to join me on this conversation, Kenzie Durrell. Kenzie, why don't you take a second to introduce yourself to the listeners? Hi, everyone. I'm Kenzie Durrell. I'm the Director of Governance with CMAA, and I have been with the organization for more than 10 years. Thank you for joining and stepping in today, Kenzie. Over the first two seasons of the podcast, we focused on some important topics revolving around suicide prevention, mental health, what it means to be a woman in construction, AGC's culture of care, to the difficulties of starting a minority-owned business. All these things circulate around one thing, DEI. Diversity, equity, and inclusion have emerged as crucial pillars in the construction industry, reflecting and growing awareness of profound impact that they have on the sector. DEI in construction extends far beyond mere tokenism or compliance with regulation. It represents a fundamental shift in mindset and practices that fosters a more equitable and vibrant industry. DEI in construction is essential for addressing the long-standing disparities that plague the field. Historically, construction has been predominantly male-dominated, with limited representation from minority groups. By actively promoting diversity, the industry can tap into broader talent pools and leverage the unique perspectives and skills of the individuals who have diverse backgrounds. Having diversity of thought can spark innovation, enhance problem solving, and ultimately lead to more efficient and sustainable construction processes. With us today from CMAA's Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Belonging Committee is Ann Timmermans, a senior consultant from Parametrics and Adam Wachowiak, an Associate Vice President from Michael Baker International. We appreciate you being on the podcast. And why don't you start off and tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do professionally, and what you do for CMAA. Wonderful. Thanks, Nick. I'm Ann. I'm located in Seattle, Washington. I've been involved with the uh, Board of Directors for about six years, and I've been a construction manager for 21 years, mostly in the Pacific Northwest. So I've worked in all kinds of projects with all kinds of clients and lots of teaming partners that have influenced how I embrace DEIB in the recent years. Adam? Thank you, Nick. Hello, everyone. Adam Wachowiak. I've been in the industry over 16 years. I've been working on the DEIB committee, formerly known as the Code Committee, for about four years now, working on the charges that we've had set forth and have seen a lot of growth there. I'm in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, but I have had the pleasure of working across the United States on a variety of different projects from California up to Massachusetts, so pretty much covering coast to coast. My current role is a director of construction, handling freight rail and facilities and heavy highway work. Thanks, Adam. Welcome to the show. And you've been on the board of directors for several years now. Can you elaborate on what DEIB committee is charged with accomplishing? Yes, I'd love to. For many folks, DEIB used to be the Code Committee, the Committee on Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion. It was named that for about 10 years and recently changed that to align with the strategic framework and our new wave of rolling out DEIB and adding belonging to. We have three main charges, which is always, it's always good to have charges because it keeps us in line as we go through the year. So the first charge is to propose and prioritize policy strategies and tactics to support CMAA's commitments to DEIB as it reflects on the strategic framework, our statement of values, and the position statements, all of which are on our website. 
The second charge is to promote, develop, and prepare CMA members to build and sustain teams and work cultures that are open, diverse, welcoming, and inclusive. We'll talk about that more, I'm sure, a little bit later in this podcast. And the last charge is one that is five functioning, and it's for us to serve as a central resource and an advocate for CMAA member resource groups. DEIB is not just a committee in a vacuum influencing policy. We're really reaching out to our members and our chapters to embrace this. And our committee is comprised of a really diverse group of board of directors and members at large. We have owners, small businesses, professional services, construction managers, and academic folks on the group. Thanks, Anne. Adam, I'm going to give the next question to you. And that is, why, in your opinion, do you think DEIB is so important to CMAA and the industry at large? Yeah, thank you, Kenzie. I think that to kick off there and to go back to the intro that Nick mentioned, DEIB and getting that belonging as well as those diverse viewpoints, it gives it a unique perspective and a lot better ideas from those different perspectives. So you can collaborate better as a team using a wider array of information and experiences to solve complex problems on construction projects as opposed to having one thought process and having some of those unconscious biases to look at things through only one lens. Anne, did you have anything to add? Sure. It's also really important for us to maintain the I and the B of DEIB so we can attract and retain members that look like the geographies that we live and work in, our clients, and how society is changing. If we really emphasize an inclusive climate in the CMAA organizations, we're going to get folks that feel safe, that network, that may not have an opportunity to talk to someone who's the president of a company that they may never have exposure to. It's really nice to have this inclusive climate where there's no barriers to who speaks to who networks and creates their own relationships that lead to mentorship opportunities, career development, partnerships, small business growth or teaming partners for breaking into a new industry in the construction world. Sounds like you have a lot of experience with that. What are some lessons that your company has learned when implementing DEIB? At my company, we included diversity, equity, and inclusion into our core values. So the company was founded almost 50 years ago, and there's a set of core values, collaboration, integration, fun, We added DEIB over three years ago to create the bar of how we're going to be an inclusive company. We also have a director of DEI that was hired a few years ago. And her main focus is rolling out not just policy, but changing hiring practices, job descriptions are gender neutral, evaluation of what educational levels are required or a nice to have so we can open the potential employment pool a little more. And we also are focusing on how do we engage small businesses in daily business, not just on construction sites or when we're doing our engineering, but is there a small business that can provide our reprographic needs? Is there a small business that can help us with our audiovisual when we have our conferences? Is there a woman-owned catering business that we can lock into a one- or two-year contract to help us with our all-hands meetings or our greater corporate lunches? So we're implementing change on a rolling basis. Adam, your perspective? 
Yeah. As Anne was saying, we have similar charges and we do have a DEI organization within my company that also was set up probably about four years ago that really pulls all our offices together since we are nationwide pulling the, the diverse viewpoints and individuals together to highlight the backgrounds that we have across the company. People from all over the world work with the company, so they bring a, a wide array of culture and diversity to the company and a, a lot that we can learn from each other there. As far as the industry itself, as a company, we focus on partnering with DBE subconsultants for both design and construction support services. I know in southwestern Pennsylvania, there's an organization that helps pair up DBE firms with prime firms, and we are a mentor firm for that. I know in the past, I have utilized some of our maybe construction inspection subconsultants and worked with them to stand up an additional service in doing construction management and training them on the construction management processes so that they can continue to grow as a, a DBE firm and be more successful in the industry. Adam, you mentioned some terms that I think of some of our listeners may or may not be familiar with, and that's DBE, WMB. Can you give our audience a little bit more explanation of what that means? Yeah, so DBE is like the diverse business enterprises. It breaks out into subsets such as WBE, MBE, SDVBE, which would be a women business enterprise. MBE would be a minority business enterprise. SDBB would be a senior disabled veteran business enterprise. And these are just different classifications that the, the federal government has for minority-owned businesses. Yeah, it's alphabet soup. <laughs> yes, it is. And you guys work with a lot of different types of teams and independent contractors. Can you tell us what some are some trends you're seeing within that realm of people you got to work with? Yeah, certainly. So, so some of the trends that we're seeing is a lot of our owners and clients are adopting more of a percentage and more of a focus on that diversity involvement. So some of the contract requirements that are going out are going to have a requirement of somewhere between 10 to 25% involvement from one of these diverse owned businesses. So we are seeing kind of a shift where maybe it was just the DOT that was requiring this, but a lot of our other clients that are on the private side are also looking to include some variation of that, whether it's 10%, 15%, 20%, but they are looking to include diversity in their packages and RFPs that they're putting out there. A few things I'm seeing, including what Adam mentioned, are somewhat subtle. I don't think folks would recognize it if they weren't in the day-to-day -day construction sites, but a lot of contractors are realizing that there's a lot of women in superintendent roles or in the trades, and they're providing actual women's garments. So high-vis vests that are made for women, shoes that are made for women. A lot of us started our careers where we're wearing men's shoes, men's high-vis everything, and it wasn't quite a fit and it was a little clunky. There's also a growing trend. Construction managers, project managers, contractors lead the client we are seeing a lot in the Northwest with equity, right? We're no better than who's out in the field doing the work with our trade partners. So we all have same job stacks to take a break, same restroom facilities on site, same access to the parking lot or where we park our vehicles or trucks or something like that, where it used to be a little bit bus in trades, bus out trades, and then construction managers and the engineers can, you know, access the site whenever they want it. So I think that's a big change 
that helps our trade partners realize that we're just getting a lot more integrated in, and the, the us versus them is getting a little less and less in the field. Along that vein, and have you been able to help owners integrate DEIB policies into any of their contracts or how they operate on a job site? Yes, I've helped influence and provide some opinions, but I have some really good clients lately that are already ahead of some of the thoughts that I've had. So I have one major client in the Northwest who has a couple interesting clauses, and they're not just for alternate delivery contracts for construction. That means design builder, general contractor, construction manager, or CM at risk if you're on the East Coast. But one, there's an anti-harassment policy that this client has in their uh, general conditions. It's also in the baseline contract right before everybody signs. There's also anti-bullying. So harassment and bullyism are not quite the same. So it's clearly outlined. And I thought that was really unique because you see anti-harassment, you think it's everything. But this client went out of their way to explicitly say this is a safe space and it's a no tolerance zone, whether we're in the office or we're in the field, whether it's a construction manager named Ann Timmermans or whether it's an iron worker working on the roof of a six-story building at an airport. So I thought that was really interesting. There's also really great practices up here in the Northwest about going beyond DBE goals, like Adam mentioned, with our small business partners. Clients often will integrate into their contract the base requirements they'd like to see. We'd like to see 10% or 20% of your staff, and that's used as your RFP criteria. But we would actually like to overall on the program hit 50% or 40% of DBE, small business or disadvantaged entities. However, we can do that with a contractor with Anne's contract for construction management. I think integrating language for all of us to think about it, not just putting it all on the contractor or not just putting all of the DBE requirements on the construction management firm is really interesting. And you didn't see things like that 20 years ago when I was starting. Adam, you see you nodding your head. Do you want to add on? Yeah, certainly. So similar experience up here in the Northeast. We've had a client that is adopting more of a DEIB approach and where in the past it was maybe our crews that were handling a lot of the work from design to CMCI. Over the last year, we've worked on a, a metrics of reporting and including more DEI subconsulting businesses to bring them to the table and then provide that metrics to our clients so that they have a report on for their stakeholders saying, hey, this is something we're adopting, we're bringing this in. You can see from the numbers that we went from, say, 0-5% of projects to now we're stepping it up to 10, 15, et cetera, as they continue to grow and adopt these, these policies moving forward. Let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsor, the Construction Manager Certification Institute. Today's ANSI accredited certified construction manager brings professionalism to the project and provides leadership by unifying architects, general contractors, engineers, and facility managers to successfully complete the project. The CCM is familiar with the latest techniques and technologies of construction, from prefabrication to building information modeling. He or she thoroughly understands sustainable design and construction, how projects are financed, and how risks can be minimized and effectively shared. The Certified Construction Manager is a communicator, a facilitator, a problem solver, a professional leader. Certified Construction Managers have the proven knowledge and experience to deliver all these values for every project. Make the CCM part of your strategy for success. 
For more information on the Certified Construction Manager, please visit cmcertification.org. Adam, what's one thing being implemented incorrectly with the DEIB in the construction industry? Yeah, good question, Nick. So I think maybe one thing that is being implemented incorrectly is some of these charges for some of these firms, maybe they, they aren't getting some proper guidance. So they're forcing things down and just putting policies in place as opposed to just trying to change the culture. Change doesn't happen overnight. And, and I think a bit of what it comes down to is making those small incremental changes to help build to the culture of the company and the staff itself, as opposed to just force feeding policies because they saw something out there and this is the way that they want to go. Along Adam Blinds, there's a little DEI fatigue. It's feeling a little bit at times like sustainability was 15 years ago. There's a lot of new practices. There's a lot of new ways to integrate this. There's a lot of lessons learned and people are forgetting. There's so many little things you can do as a leader or as an engineer in the field or as a construction manager that are just basic DEI things creating a safe space at your job site. If someone says something out of turn, correcting that so we don't have someone feeling like they were picked on, giving small businesses or disadvantaged businesses meaningful roles as you pursue work. I said previously, there's often the minimum percentage of we'd like to see 10% of disadvantaged businesses on your team. That's not just throwing folks on your team and hoping they do a good job. We see a lot of pursuits where firms just put a disadvantaged business on with no direction and it's not a meaningful role. So how does that help them grow and become the company that triples in five years and now is the key firm to put on your team? So I think sometimes DEI can be a little reactive and it has to be thoughtful. And people have to pause and go, we're already doing many of these things already. So let's just keep doing it. And a few questions ago, you looked back, if you will, 20 years in your career and how things have changed over that span. Let's fast forward 15 years. Zero so little back to the future too. Where and what do you think DEIB will look like in 15 years? Yeah. Okay. So 15 years. Oh, hoverboards for everyone, not safe. Let's. That's a different podcast. Adam and I were actually talking about this yesterday, but a couple things, and, and I'm sure Adam can add some goodness to this, but DEIB practices will just be the norm. We were talking about DEIB is really the golden rule at times, do unto others, right? Getting small trading partners or small businesses on your teams, there shouldn't be goals anymore 15 years. It should just be the way that you do it. It should be, we're chasing a $100 million construction project and we'd like this firm to be on our team. And by the time this job is finished and it's successful, this firm will have enough of their portfolio to go increase their portfolio with a $300 million project. I also think just looks-wise, right, optics, you're going to start seeing more, right? More women, more people of color, superintendents, presidents, C-suites. It's going to start looking like what we're scratching the surface on. And it's going to be exciting, except I'll be a little old by then. <laughs> Adam? Yeah, my take is very similar to, to Anne there. And I couldn't agree more with coming back to that golden rule, right? The DEIB belonging, right? This partnership, right? In 15 years, the culture needs to 
change and change takes time kind of on the one question I answered there. So it's going to come down to those small incremental changes over that 15 years to where this is just second nature. And you don't even realize that you're doing the DEIB steps because it's just second nature. It's just part of the culture that's going on. And there is so much great experience and talent coming through the industry with the diverse backgrounds that it's just going to make us that much better collectively as a, an industry by having so many talented, diverse individuals and so many different viewpoints helping us lead these extremely challenging projects to a successful outcome. One thing, Adam, you just reminded me of when 15 years, a lot of us may be thinking about retirement or close to, but with DEIB being second nature by then, hopefully, which I know it will be, I'm going to say hopefully that the young people that have been on these DEI committees influencing our companies, CMAA and other organizations are going to be the next wave of leadership. And that really gives me hope because the people that are doing the work now in this territory are going to be the ones that won't forget it. I don't think there's going to be a backslide in in um, industry knowledge and practices. So that's really cool. Yeah, I agree there. And the next generation that's coming up right now, Gen Z and Gen Alpha, are a lot more attuned to that diverse background and acceptance. So I just see the charges that are starting now just to exponentially increase over time because there is so much more acceptance and some of that traditionalist mindset is maybe uh, sunsetting a bit more in the industry. Speaking of those future generations, do you guys have any recommendations for how to interact with them now, get them into the pipeline now? Is it maybe recruiting at HBCUs, which more alphabet soup, that's historically black colleges and universities, or any other ideas that you have along that front? Yeah, great question there, Kenzie. I would go back to, there's plenty of avenues out there. Obviously, the historical black universities, those are a great place to tie into. I know there's the ACE mentorship program that's out there, uh, but I think maybe it's starting a little bit sooner than that. Looking at maybe some of the high schools and getting involved in different uh, organization events that go on, like Big Brothers and Big Sisters is a good one to mentor some students somewhere between middle school, high school, even go volunteer at maybe a high school and talk to them about STEM and what the opportunities there are in the construction industry and how many different avenues you can go. There's countless different disciplines in construction to of type of projects you can work on. And it's very exciting going into the trades, going into design, becoming a CM, doing inspection type work. There's plenty of opportunity out there. And I think it's starting with the, the Gen Alpha and, and Gen Z, maybe not just in the the colleges, but also in the communities and being involved there as well. Adam touched on something I was going to bring up. The construction management industry, and I, and I think one of the reasons I just continue to enjoy it so much is nobody has the same prescriptive background. I have folks that have PhDs in math, of all things, which is great for them. They're great construction managers. And so something I've been thinking about in the next 10 years of what is my next junior set of staff look like and what are they going to want to do and what do they look like are we going to the colleges of engineering and construction management and architecture and i say yes we still are but we're going to start looking at someone that has a career change or halfway through college the mathematician that's wait a minute i grew up in construction what am i doing here i'd like to get exposure to that there's a lot of diamonds in the rough in this industry i could probably be classified as that but 
we need to look beyond our just traditional circle and also go back to the trades, right? Adam was mentioning, whether that's in the field, letting people know what we do just through casual conversation or making it a CMAA charge that a lot of folks in the trades age out after a certain amount of time, 15, 20 years for trades like iron, steel, heavy civil work. Those folks are highly qualified, savvy, and multidimensional individuals that would be great construction managers. So opening that pipeline, and that goes back also to our inclusive CMA organization and getting folks to network. So it's all kind of tying in together, but looking at all kinds of colleges, especially HBCUs, or maybe the smaller trade school that is on the edge of the city that we don't always go to. And also going back to the unions and saying, hey, there's opportunities that folks retire. It's not the end. So we have time for one last question. Adam, what is the committee working on this year that you want people to know about? Yeah, thank you, Nick. Definitely a great question to end on there. I would say the immediate charge is Focus 2024 is coming up for CMAA, and we're working on the education sessions there to ensure that it is you know, relevant and themed accordingly. And we're also working on a general session panel that's going to be on DEIB on job sites. So that will be occurring during the Focus 2024 that we're sponsoring as the DEIB committee. We're ensuring all the content that's coming in is inclusive of DEIB policies. We're also working on developing at least two articles that you can see in MCX that's going to be on DEIB topics. We're looking for adding some content to the 2024 Leadership Summit this summer. I believe that's going to be in June. And we're also reaching out and supporting chapter efforts through an annual chapter DEIB jamboree. That's usually in September, and that's held every year for the chapters out there. So we do have a lot of charges that uh, some started last year and continuing through, and then uh, some of the annual ones there. But a lot of good stuff happening this year and really looking forward to what we're able to accomplish. Well, it certainly sounds like DEI is not merely a buzzword in the construction industry, but more of a moral imperative and a strategic advantage. If you'd like to help CMA champion DEIB principles and help the construction industry drive positive change, please visit cmaanet.org, where you can find out more information and volunteer under the About Us dropdown. And Adam, we look forward to seeing your committee's presentation at Focus 24 in Philadelphia, March 10th through the 12th, 2024. Thank you for joining us and helping us understand the important work that the committee is doing uh, and what all the stuff you have coming on in front of you. Coming up on the next CMAA Construction Leaders podcast, Carly and I will be joined by Brian Krasensi from Gaeta Fleming to talk about quality management and the oversight services that require detailed planning to deliver services that meet your clients' needs. Kenzie, you didn't do too bad for your first time, so thank you for helping us out today, and we hope to have you again soon. Make sure you download or subscribe to the podcast and follow us on social media at CMAA underscore HQ. Don't forget to leave us a review and thoughts of today's episode and let us know what you'd like to hear on an upcoming podcast. On behalf of CMA, I'm Nick Soto with Kenzie Durrell. Thank you for listening.